0: As I mentioned, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so it's national holiday. I think no school banks are closed, and it's an opportunity for our country to rest and to reflect on a great man and a great cause. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he went to college when he was 15 years old. I don't know uh, how, when I was 15 years old, I I couldn't find the front door. And uh, so he was able to go to college. He enrolled at Boston University and graduated four years later with a theology degree. He was a, a pastor and a theologian and an activist. And at 39 years of age, I'm I'm 43, just at 39 years of age, he'd been arrested 30 times, uh, more than 30 times for his activism and for what he stood for. And ultimately, his life was taken prematurely through assassination. And yet, he changed the world. I believe he was assassinated in 1968. But in 1964, he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, Just as a young man, maybe 35 years old, a Nobel Peace Prize for standing up for things that were being overlooked and abuse and neglect, and injustice that was happening around our world. And all I can say is, man, let's, let's do our best to answer the call that God puts upon our lives, okay? Don't compare yourself to other people and don't say, well, I'm not big enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this or I'm not that. Man, what does God put on your heart? Go out and change the world, even if it's one person at a time. And let it start with one person at a time. Let it start with the people in your neighborhood or the people you're next to. Let it start with a person you see in the mirror and let God speak to you through his word. I'm so thankful that there's many, many great women and women over the world, but I'm so grateful that Martin Luther King Jr. was impacted by Jesus Christ in the gospel. His, his birth name was Martin Luther King Jr., but his dad's name was Martin Luther King Sr. I can't remember his dad's name, but his dad's name wasn't Martin Luther King. And I don't even think his name was Martin Luther King either. I think his dad went to Germany and toured where uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, had his ministry, and he came over and said, like, all right, we're all changing our names, Okay dad, <laughs> wow must have been a pretty impactful trip and dad changed his name and he changed his son's name because the gospel does that. One of the most famous verses that Martin Luther, the reformer in the 1500's read that changed his life was that the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther was a legalist and had problems and issues and, as we all do and eventually started reading the scriptures. When he came to the book of Romans changed his life forever. And the church was reformed, the church was set free, and those men and women who read the scriptures also have their lives reformed and set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's make sure and remember and honor uh, Martin Luther and all he stood for uh, this weekend and beyond. But right now, we're going to read God's word and get God's word into our hearts and get into God's word. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read to you, beginning in verse 18. Let me just set the table a little bit. Paul is now segueing into the fact that if you're a Christian on the inside, it's going to be evidenced on the outside. Amen? Okay, it's going to be noticed in the way you live your life and the things you do and or do not do. One of the reasons why I love selling hoodies over here that say, Jesus is real, love, serve, grow, South Beach Church, Jesus saves, Jesus, 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 changes everything because it gives people a way to identify with the truth that they believe. You put it on, you're like, whoa, I'm a witness now, you know, and you got your shirt on, you know, and whoa, people know, whoa, you know, and it's like I was at a basketball game yesterday and this girl walked by, she had a Jesus is real hoodie, I was like, yeah, you know, represent, But let's be honest, it's not just about a hoodie and a slogan or a bumper sticker on your car or a fish. Your Christianity is going to be, must be evidenced by what God has done in you in the way it's evidenced, in the way it flows out of you. It has to be this way. Otherwise, your Christianity didn't work. If you say, I have enough Christianity to save my soul, but not enough Christianity to change my life, you might have a problem. Right? Right? And while I don't advocate for Christian sinless perfectionism, that is where Christians who are saved no longer sin and you're perfect. I don't have, that's not true. Christians aren't sinless. Hey, okay, you're a mess. I see your Facebook. You're a mess, dude, you know, right? But you are sinning less and less and less in the trajectory of your life. That's just the way it is. You're growing. And you want to grow. And as you grow and you say, man, I used to do these things, and the Lord after 10 years of being a Christian, Lord, was like, hey, we're done with that. That's kid stuff. Let it go. We're going into deeper waters. Oh, cool. I'm growing. I'm growing. And the Lord will grow you, and he'll tell you what to do. Now, here's the deal. Christians are pretty famous for what we don't do, aren't we? Man, we don't do that. We don't, oh, you, I would never do that. You know, we're, we're pretty, it's pretty obvious to find out what you don't do, but it's even more powerful and indicative when you find a Christian what they do do. Why do you do that? Well, I'm a Christian. Why do you serve at the gospel mission? Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why do you show up early, stay late and say yes to everything? These are things we do do. And I don't think it's hard to be known for what we don't do. Man, everyone knows what Christians stand against. Everyone knows what Christians hate. All these things have given us a bad reputation in some ways. And what Paul is now giving instruction here is to the home life. He says, if you're a Christian, if then you're a new man. That's awesome. Woo, new man. And you're being renewed in the image of God through the knowledge of God. Then he gives instructions to husbands and to wives, and he gives instructions to children and to parents, and he gives instructions to bosses and to employers. And this is just in the book of Colossians, in the book of Romans, and in the book of Ephesians, he gives instructions to citizens and to kings and to rulers, and he tells everyone how to do their job. Because if you're a believer now, everything has changed for you. You now live for a kingdom that is coming. We don't necessarily operate by the rules of this world in that way. We take our cues from a higher source. It's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me, right? And you guys know what the Bible stands for, right? It's basic instructions before leaving earth. This is just the book. This is what we do. And, man, you got to read it. And you got to get into it and know what God has for you. Now, let me read to you because Paul gives us some... Interesting words And we've been doing this now for three weeks I read this portion to my son Noah He's in the back And I read him So said here's what I'm teaching tomorrow And I read it And he said dad you've been teaching on that For two weeks in a row (laughs) Part of me was really stoked Because he'd been listening And part of me was encouraged Because i got to keep moving on Teach something new We're going to do it We're going to do it Here's what it says though It says wives submit to your own husbands As is fitting in the Lord Husbands love your wives And do not be bitter toward them Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, or parents, it says in the same word in the book of Hebrews, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, that's employees, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, and not just with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, that's bosses, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so now Paul gives us instructions from his word in what we're to be doing, how we're to be looking, that we're not be taking our cues from the world and modeling after worldly things, but heavenly things. And that's the big idea of the kingdom, is that it's kingdom down instead of culture up. We live in a culture that's very pervasive, it's very powerful, it's very influential. And yet the Word of God says, I want it to be powerful, I want it to be persuasive, I want it to be influential in your life. We take our cues from a different drum, from a different director, which is God Himself, in His Word. And what we've been learning here is that there is to be order in the home because there's order in heaven. All of this is to be a reflection of of heaven when god tells us how to live our lives down here or how the church is to operate what the church is supposed to be operated by and how the church is supposed to go and what the family's supposed to do and what the family's not supposed to do all of that is a reflection or a picture of greater things that are happening up in heaven that's how important it is we talked about this last week that the very first institution god put together was the home adam and eve he brought them together it's the very first institution also in this in the scriptures that was attacked Satan came to the home first, and he attacked Adam and Eve. And in chapter 4, the sons were attacked. And all throughout, it's been an attack on the home, which shouldn't surprise you in today, 2022, that the ingredients and the description and the attack on the home, the conventional home, the biblical model, man, it is under attack right now. Redefined and re-described, and we need to make sure that we know what the Scriptures say Because God knows best. As a matter of fact, I'm preaching to the home crowd here. I believe you guys are on the the home crowd team here. And we we love the scriptures. We believe in the word of God. We want to take our instruction from him. And one of the things you have to settle into at the beginning is father knows best, doesn't he? Like, God knows best. He just knows what's best. You and I are naturally rebels. We just want to rebel. You ever had kids before? Man, they're the worst. You know, and I'm just kidding. I got a couple of them. But, you know, they just, they just rebel and they question and they challenge and they push back. Guess what? You guys are just bigger kids with grayer hair and bigger beards. It's no different. And so when God says to do something in your spirit, you have to make a decision. Do I really believe this? And really what you should do is humble yourself and say, oh, man, absolutely I believe. I'm not good at it, but I believe it. Early, early on in my, my Christianity, when I was just a kiddo, uh, God gave me saving faith. He saved my soul, but He also gave me believing faith. And I just simply believed the scriptures. I don't understand all the scriptures. I don't really even need to understand all the scriptures. It's kind of like when you buy a car and it turns on when you start the key. Do you understand how it works? No, I don't have a clue how it works. But you, you, just, you receive it as your own, and so too with the scriptures. I don't understand every single thing in here. Doesn't matter. He's right. What He says goes. I just made that decision. I put that flag down. That's the way I'm going to go. I'm going to do my best to figure it out as well. And even if I do have questions, problems, pushback, concern, or rebellions, I'm going to trust that Father knows best. And I love how he gives instructions to everybody, to husbands, to wives, to kids, to parents, to bosses, to employers. You know why? Because if he were to just tell one group or one person what to do, it would be domineering and unequal, and it would be weird. He wouldn't be able to hold us accountable the same. Imagine if he just gave wives like a whole chapter and just let the husbands off the hook. Wouldn't that be awesome? Nervous laughter. You know what I'm saying? No, he doesn't do that, man. He doesn't do that. He gives husbands and wives equal directions and directives. Same with bosses and employees. And he gives kings and saints. He gives them all instructions so that way he can look him in the eye and say, Hey, did you get your, did you get your note? Did you get your memo? But what about him, master? What about him? You follow me, you know. To quote Jesus in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And the thing is, is as a man, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm an employee. Also, I work for the church. I'm also a boss. I have people that work for me. So I see myself getting instructions here in multiple levels. And I thank God for that that he would show me what he wants for me. And I'm still a work in progress, and hope you are too. I remember just a few years into being married, and I was figuring out that. It didn't take long. I figured it out pretty quick. But anyways, um, so come on, you guys. Laugh harder. Anyways, I I, I was talking to my pastor, uh, Mark Anderson, and we were talking about the role of responsibility of a husband and how the husband is the head of the household. He's the head of the household, and so his wife and his kids and his estate—those are under his watch and under his leadership. And I said something to my pastor. Uh, I was talking to story. I said, "Okay, so my wife's countenance and the joy of my home and everything—that's my fault." And I was bearing that. I said, "Okay, I can do that." He said, "Well, let's change the word. Let's change the word—not fault, but it is because it might not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. How your wife's doing?" There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, "To be diligent to know the state of your flocks." How's it going? That's my responsibility, to know how my staff is doing, to know how my my family's doing, to know how the church is doing. God has asked me to sit in that role of responsibility and to bear that burden, and so too he's given instructions to everyone. Husbands, he says, love your wives. Wives, he says, submit to your husbands. And let me just say a few things about husbands and wives, and we're going to jump into new territory. This is week 2.5 of talking about husbands and wives, and we're going to move on. I know it's time to. Okay, let me just say this about husbands Loving their wives and wives. Submitting to their husbands. Do you know that husbands need their wives to submit to them and to respect them? And I ended with this thought last week. you know why they need them to? Because that's the way God made them. God made men to lead. He made men to be kings. He made men to be in charge. He made them to be in charge, to lead and to be kings. And he's asked them to be good men, to be in good charge, and to be good kings. And so he says, wives, I want you to respect your husband. I want you to submit to him. He needs you to do this. He needs you to do this. And when he does this, he's going to then rise up into that position of leadership and king and covering. And he needs you to cheer for him. And man, we're on thin ice here. I'm just saying this is the weird time, 2022, to be preaching this stuff. But the Bible says it, and I I believe it, and that settles it. And what husbands really need for their wives to do is to believe in them, to support them, to respect them, and to submit to them. To cheer them on. I told my wife this one time. I said, man, you ever been to a football game? And the team's not doing so good, and you see the cheerleaders on the side. You know what the cheerleaders are still doing? They're still cheering. They're still like, ah, you know, you're doing the best. And really, what husbands need, man, they need the people around them to cheer them on. It's just just the way we need. God made us this way. It's not bad. It can be abused. It can be misplaced. It's something that God has programmed. And wives, they need their husbands to love them and to serve them unconditionally, tenderly, and learning who they are and dwelling with them as they grow together. You know why wives need this? God made them that way. God made wives tender in that way for the husband to come under her and to serve her, to love her, to sacrifice for her. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. It doesn't get more lovely than that. Jesus in His love and care and concern, His knowledge, His investment, His commitment, never leaving, never forsaking His bride, always being there for her. And when that bride feels cared for, loved for, sacrificed for, invested in, that bride will be so free to then cheer for her husband. It's the perfect cycle, the perfect circle. We're both so different, husbands and wives, so different, equal in value different in role and responsibility now let me just say something this is for husbands and wives when the bible says to wives wives submit to your husband as unto the lord wives see that you respect your husband it says it twice in two different places when it says that in my heart of hearts okay i'm just being honest i don't know about you guys in my heart of hearts as a husband the first thing that comes to my mind is i don't know if i'm worthy to be submitted to it's not all the time. I don't know if I'm worthy of that respect, and you have to process that. If I look at my wife Crystal, for she, we've been married 21 years in in June or July. I can't remember. Just kidding, it's June. Just making sure you're with me, June 9th. And when I read this, I'm like, you know what? You know what this does for me. I don't look at Crystal. And say, hey, Crystal, want to do a quick Bible study with you? There's this verse I've been thinking about, and um, it's. Uh, it's pretty fun. Ready? Here go. You know, We don't quote this verse to each other. This isn't you know, tattooed on my ankle. and It's not written on our you know, thing. We know the verse is here, though. And when I read this, wife, submit to your husband. See that you respect your husband. In my heart, you know what? I, I, I wrestle. I say this. I want to be worthy of respect. I want to be worthy of being submitted to. I want to be trustworthy. This is a motivating verse for husbands. When you see this, this shouldn't put you in a position to dominate. Say, yeah, see, it says right there. No, no. If you have to say, see, it says right there and point it out, something's wrong. Something's way wrong. This should be a motivator for you husbands. Yes, I want to be that guy. For the wives, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, serving, sacrificing, covering. It should in wives as well cause a thought process to go through your mind saying, Am I that lovely? Do I deserve that? Do I, should I, how can I grow in this? How can I be that person for my husband? And every husband should say, how can I be that person for my wife? And instead of looking at the other person's command saying, hey, make sure you do this for me, you know, <laughs> I know it's our first date, kind of weird, but let's get it off the, you know, let's cover it, let's cover it. <laughs> but when I read these verses, says, this is God's, this is the way, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'll be the first to say, dude, I'm, I am in actual nature and output. I'm not this man. I've fallen short. I'm a work in progress. And I don't think there's any man in here who would say, well, I figured it out. Or any woman in here who would say, well, I figured it out. But just because we're missing the mark, just because we're not quite there, doesn't mean that we say, no, and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Instead, by grace and mercy, kindness, forgiveness, and forbearance, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we say, let's keep going. Let's keep doing it. This is God's model. This is what's going to change the world, and we're under attack individually, corporately. It's all happening crazy. It's all over the place. And a couple more points on marriage. Okay, marriage has purpose practically. God calls us to our roles with responsibilities, but it's also a picture prophetically. Marriage in God's design. You ever look at the Bible and think, man, that's weird. That's just weird. There's just weird stuff in the scriptures that don't make sense here. We see through a glass table. We don't understand it. When God put the family unit together and all the thing and the church together and the order and all this stuff, we're like, what about this? And I don't get it because we're not in heaven yet. When we get to heaven, we're going to see that there's pictures and prophecies and practicalities and purposes and all the things that God has designed. And we're going to say, oh, wow, that makes sense. Kind of like when the disciples got their eyes opened up to the Old Testament and they saw all the things after Jesus had risen from the dead, like, whoa, I didn't know it all made sense. So, too, marriage has pictures prophetically. It's to represent the church. There's reasons why God has us to walk in the roles that we're to walk in. Let me just give you the way that works. When a wife decides to rebel against her husband, not submit to him, not cheer him on, Okay, the idea is that wives are to represent the bride of Christ, and when the bride of Christ—that's the church—rebels against Jesus, doesn't submit to Jesus, and walks against Jesus. You ever seen churches do this before? Man, I'm a church guy. That's what I do for a living. I like go to churches. I'm a connoisseur. I, I like like. There's church catalogs. There's church forums. There's church, and you see churches out there that that church isn't in submission to God's word or God's kingdom. They've gotten weird. And there's other churches that just, I just want to, man, whatever. This is the Lord's church. I just, man, we just, whatever. God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the church, a representation of the bride, of the wives, is to be in submission to God. That's a beautiful thing. And when it gets weird, it gets weird. So, too, prophetically, as a picture of heaven, husbands are to be the covering for their wives, just like Christ is the covering for the church. And if a husband is domineering, if a husband is unloving, if a husband is unfaithful, if a husband is unavailable, if all these things that happen in our culture, if that happens, you're representing God and you're giving God a bad representation to the world and the world looks at you and says, I don't want anything to do with your kingdom if that's how your God is and we know that's not how our God is. What would Jesus do for his church? What would God do for his kingdom? Oh man, it's pretty, pretty extravagant. It's, it's pretty big time. And so when a husband says, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to be small, I'm going to be sinful. It's a breaking of the picture and the prophetical purpose to the marriage unit. It matters. Why should we do these things? Because God will do these things. And even in our faithlessness, he remains faithful still. Even in our failed marriages, our failed attempts, all of our mistakes, man, he will not fail. And yet it's our great privilege to follow after him. Well, moving on. You guys ready to move on? You want to talk about marriage some more? Anybody here? All the single people who have been sitting through this for three weeks, man, I just want to give you guys a cookie. Like, you did a great job. And, um, you know, thank you for doing that. You can pray for the person God brings you or pray that God uses you in the lives of others or pray that God pr- puts his principles down further into your heart and you worship him uh, greater. And even if you have failed marriages in your past, everything's gone gone messed up, you can look at God's word and say, wow, let God be true and every man a liar. I just worship the Lord in my brokenness. I worship the Lord in my mistakes, okay? I don't even consider my own mistakes and my own failures. I just look at the Lord, the king of righteousness, and it's all about him. It's not about me. All of these truths are for the whole kingdom of God. He moves on, though, and he transitions into children. Verse 20, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We'll unpack that. And then he says, likewise, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now he segues and he talks about the different family relationships that we have with parents and children. Now let me just give you a little context here. 2,000 years ago, when Paul wrote this to children to obey their parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, and to fathers to not provoke their children lest they become discouraged, that was around that year AD 50, Roman Empire at its height. Okay, even in the Jewish custom and all the other customs around there, the Jewish people respected their wives and children more than anybody else, but generally speaking in the world, wives, women, and children were considered nothing more than property or estate value. If you had a wife, if you had a daughter, if you had a son, all of that wasn't endured, it wasn't prized, it wasn't wasn't precious to you, it was just part of your value and estate. In other words, there was no protection for kids, there was no protection for women, there was no value in that day. Dads were the highest authority in the home. Dad could do anything. A dad, if he was displeased with this kid or in debt or distressed, could actually take his kid to the city and sell his kid into slavery. No harm, no foul. This is what we do. In that day, a dad could actually legally take the life of his own child if he, did, if he wasn't able to raise them or didn't want them around anymore. There wasn't any DHS, there wasn't any 911, there wasn't any CASA for kids, there wasn't any safe families for children, there wasn't any of this stuff going on, man, it was, and let me just say this, if you had a good dad, you had a good life. If you had a bad dad, you suffered, and there was no hope or help for you. And so Jesus comes on, and Paul says, hey, fathers, don't provoke your children, don't discourage them. Who modeled this the best in, in that day? His name starts with G. Rhymes with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. What did I say? G. <laughs> Love you guys. Love you. I was homeschooled. I know it's right there. I got it, man. Jesus. He was the one who modeled this value and worth to children better than anybody. The little kids were coming to him, and the disciples were like, oh, whoa, 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 we don't have time for this VBS vacation Bible school. We don't do kids stuff. Get away. And Jesus said, no, let the kids come to me. He was setting the tone. Jesus loves, values, and esteems children, okay? Men and their fallen nature, mankind in general, men were selfish, were brutes, and without God's word coming into our lives and God's spirit coming into our hearts, we're all doomed. And so when he says this in that day, this would have been a game changer, and so it's important to realize when God gives us instruction, I don't think there's much argument when it comes to these two verses, but I want you to realize that in that day, this would have been crazy. This would have been different. Okay, children, obey your parents. And reality is, is we all have kids around Some of you have kids, some of you have nieces and nephews Some of you have you know, cousins And some of you just do child care You don't have kids of your own But you're influencing kids around you And I'm going to give you guys a little parenting lesson here And uh, uh, it's going to be awesome because we're all going to be offended together And uh, I've been raising kids now for almost 15 years My son Noah in the back, he's 14, turning 15 in November And I've made plenty of mistakes along the way Man, I, I can count my mistakes There's so many mistakes, so many things that I've done wrong And so many things I wish I would have done better and i've tried things that worked and man i'm trying things that do work and didn't work and i'm failing in some areas but here's the deal principles are few okay that's the scriptures methods are many so the principle is already i've already written, read the principles to you fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged that's the principle that's the goal. That's what you do. Now, the methods under that, that's kind of the way that human anatomy unpacks and, and puts this together. Those are many, but the principles are few. Also, for children to obey their parents in everything. That is the command. Let me just give you a few thoughts. If you're writing this down, maybe five or six things about this command. Number one, this command in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Number one, this is age-appropriate. Okay, This is little kids living at home with their, with their family. Kids living at home, obey your parents. The also inference here is that this is to a family that loves God. This is a good home. Now, here's the difference between obeying and honoring. Okay, my mom and dad usually are here. They're coming to the second service. My sister's visiting. They'll be here at the 11 a.m. service. I'm going to give my parents a piece of my mind. That's going to be so good. That's going to be so good. And the Bible says, children, obey your parents. But the Bible also says, children, honor your parents. Honor and obedience are two separate things. When you're living at home, you're a little kid and you're under the authority of your parents, you are to obey and honor. And as you get older and you leave and cleave, you leave your father's house and you don't obey your parents anymore. Okay, There's a season where you become your own. You obey God, your father. You don't obey your parents anymore, but you do hope and seek that they would honor your parents as you get older. This verse is for kids that are at home, living there still, and need that direction and that oversight, okay? Little age-appropriate kids. Now, here's the problem also. If, this, if you're a 30-year-old kid living at home, we got a whole other set of issues. we got to talk about that later. And uh, don't, anyways, I'm not trying to, it's, it's happening, it's happening. So, number one, this is age-appropriate. Number two, uh, God gives directives and instructions for kids, which encourages me, okay? He gives instructions and directions to everyone, which is great news. Even in this list, he's going to tell every, everybody something, Because everyone goes through a season in their life and they wonder, does God know? What am I doing now? What do I do with my life? And when God sees you and knows you, it eradicates that lie. Listen, nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. We go through so many days in our lives just thinking we're not cared for, we're not loved, we're not appreciated, we have no value, no worth, nothing to offer. And God says, oh, no, no. I see every season of your life. When you're a young kid, when you're an older kid, honor your parents, when you're single, when you're married, when you're a boss, when you're an employee, this is good news. Don't believe the lie that you're not valued, you're not worth anything. And God gives directives and instructions for kids. I think this is important because we have such a victim mentality nowadays. Man, everyone's just a victim. I didn't have All these excuses. I got arrested in 1998, and I was facing 90 days in Jackson County Jail for fake IDs. And it was interesting. When that happened, when the book got thrown at me in the court of law. Sorry about that, Patty. You were sleeping. I had to get you. I'm just kidding. You weren't sleeping. Patty's my number one fan. She sits right there now. No. In my mind, you know what I wasn't? I wasn't confused. Oh, what happened to me? I didn't know any better. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know what I was doing. In my mind, when I got in trouble, I knew exactly what I'd done. I knew the rules and the instructions. I had broken the law. There is instructions. I wasn't the victim. I wasn't confused. I knew exactly what had happened. I broke the rules and I didn't follow God's word. I just want us to be clear. God tells us exactly what to do. Number three, this is for their own safety, okay? This is for kids because when kids are born, you've seen this before, they don't know anything, Kids don't know what to do. They don't know where to go, and God has put them in the families in order that they would be instructed so they would know what to do, and they need to be lovingly and faithfully instructed and discipled in the way to live their life. Number four, um, how many things does it say there in verse 20? Obey your parents in, are you guys even here? All things. Again, the implication is that these parents are submitted to the Lord. And they're trying their best. They're doing their best. There is no perfect parent. Every parent comes up short. We're imperfect. Okay, but when a mom or dad is submitted to the Lord, even in their imperfections and their mistakes, God commands children to obey them in all things, because Romans twenty-eight says, "How many things work together for good?" That's crazy, right there. It's crazy good. In all things. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about neglect. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about committing crimes. When a parent has a kid to commit a crime or commit, do anything weird, Okay, that's not what it's talking about here. This is inferred that this is a Christian home. Not perfect because we're imperfect, but we are trying to raise up our children in the way that they should go. Number five, this is pleasing to the Lord. And if you're a kid here, i got one in the back, Noah, listen up. And if you're a child of God, listen up. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. You want to know the greatest thing you can do with your life? Please the Lord. If you live to please man, please your boss, please your dad, please your mom, please somebody, okay, in the moment that they're not there to please, you're going to lower your standards and do silly stuff. But when you live your life to please the Lord, when that is the highest joy, I just want to please the Lord. I just want to serve Him in my singleness. I just want to serve the Lord in my raising kids. I want to serve the Lord without kids. I want to serve my Lord in my unemployment, if that's where you're at. I want to serve my, like, my Lord in employment, if that's where you're at. Serve the Lord, for it is pleasing to him. Now, if you're a parent, pay attention, write these things down. Six things that obedience is not, okay? I see kids being raised in all different ways. And if you have kids, take these notes and email Pastor Toby if you get offended. And um, number one, obedience is not counting. You see these, Thank You see these parents out there? Do what I said or else. One, two, 675, you know, 9,010, you know. That's not obedience. What you're teaching your kid at that point, listen, is convenient obedience. And convenient obedience will never take you where you want to go in life. You need to hear God's word. You need to hear your parents' word and obey. Sorry for clapping again. When Abraham heard God's word, take your son, your only son, Isaac, tomorrow and offer him to me as a sacrifice, early in the morning the next day, Abraham said, Let's "Go." he obeyed. And you need to teach your kids. This isn't going to happen overnight. Don't count. It's not obedience. Now, some kids at certain ages need time to process things. Okay, there's a little time involved. They're, they don't know what's going on. I understand that. We actually did use a timer for certain things in our house. If the food wasn't getting eaten, oh, you got two minutes to eat your food. Otherwise, you're homeless. Let's try it. They put the, you know? And my kids, they ate their food, man. It was crazy. You ever set the timer to clean your house? That's the best. We, this is so fun. We did this thing where we set the timer. We're going to clean the house. There's toys everywhere. Our kids were toddlers. Just a mess, man. look like a zoo. Kids with animals had escapes in our living room. And we set the timer. and said, any toys that are out, if the timer goes off, we're going to put them in a trash bag, and they're gonzo, you know. And so all of a sudden, man, the house would be clean in 32 seconds. It was awesome. <laughs> but when you tell a child to do something, and they look at you, and you have to count, okay, that's not obedience. Work, work on that. Work on that. Number two, obedience isn't negotiating, where you tell a kid to do something, and they look at you, and so you begin to negotiate with them. We're not trying to raise the next Osama bin Laden here with negotiations with terrorists and, you know, kids doing their own thing and trying to take theirs from you. He says, obedience is what we're looking for. Number three, obedience isn't voting. Okay, in our house we have three kids and, and a husband and a wife. So we're outvoted three to two. If we did votes every time, all right, we're making decisions. What are we going to eat for dinner? Pizza and Mountain Dew. Woo! You know, it's like, no, we're not. A, appreciate, your, appreciate your input. It's not a vote. And I'm, I'm, I hope I don't step on toes unnecessarily. But parents are to lead their children in the things of the house. Now kids do have a view. Okay, kids, are re- they have a view. They also have a voice. And at times they do have a vote. When it comes to that situation, that, hey, where are we doing this? And what's going on? I want to hear your view. I want, to see your, I want to hear your voice. I want to see what's going on. But when it comes down to it, a mom or dad need to make a decision and lead the family in the small things and the big things. You're teaching your kids something valuable here. It isn't about the instance necessarily. You're teaching your kids valuable principles, and we'll get to that in just a second. Obedience isn't bribing them. If you do this, then you'll get that kids getting this thing, "Well, if I eat my dinner, if I clean my room, what do I get? You get to live. OK? Here, for a little bit longer. Done. That's it, you know. That, you know obedience isn't, lastly, switching roles. This doesn't mean parents obey your children. Some parents find themselves obeying their children in order to keep the peace, okay things have gotten out of order. and man, just do this. Hey, if you do this, child, then I'll do this. And all of a sudden the roles are switched. Now again, I said all that real quick, and I hope your nerves were covered in the grace of Jesus Christ and there wasn't any offense necessarily, and I didn't even develop those thoughts too much. Here's the big idea, though. Everyone needs to learn to be in submission to somebody because everyone is in submission to God. And if you don't learn to be in submission to somebody, you're going to make silly, foolish decisions the rest of your life. And this happens at the home when moms and dads hold their children accountable, give them directives, give them discipline, move them through life. Otherwise, that child is going to grow up not respecting the authority that they're under, not understanding the authority of God over them, and they're going to ruin their lives. It's that important. There's a fine balance here, and I'm so glad that Paul says, oh, by the way, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't discourage them. Now, in this culture, that's all they did. Dad's just hammered down. Dad ruled the roost. No laws. Paul comes in and says, Hey, children, obey. This is well pleasing to the Lord. Just do it. Okay, kids? Okay. Dads? You better watch yourself. Don't be jerks, don't provoke them. Now, God's word brings order and peace. Okay, in Paul's day, fathers and mothers would dominate, they would lord over their kids. There was abuse. There was all kinds of things happening that weren't good. And so Jesus brings this through Paul. It's crazy. The roles have reversed, haven't they? Nowadays, in 2020-22, there's still domineering parents and households like that. But did you notice that the children have kind of swayed from one pendulum over from the road we're supposed to be on into the other ditch of excess? And some people like to blame it on the 60s, where there was the revolution of, I get to do whatever I want, and now kids and parents, and people have this free will and this free spirit, and now we're raising kids that are domineering, by and large, not always, but by and large, the parental unit. And we see kids that are in charge, and kids threatening their parents, and kids ruling the roost, and kids deciding, and kids rebelling. They have a definition for rebellion. It's called teenager. We just accepted it. Man, it's like, people say, oh, the teens, man, it's the worst. And I think that there's been a huge shift. And here's the deal, though. God's word, it brings order, and it brings peace. And I pray if your house wasn't this way in your experience, or maybe your house isn't this way currently, that you would be encouraged and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be a better dad. Help me to get control of my family. Help me to be a better mom. Help me to raise my kids in this way. Because right now our culture's Man, it's just getting worse and worse, and the rebellion is more than just what you see in that moment, in that context. It is a pandemic of spiritual misunderstanding of the authority we have of God above. We moved to Minnesota many years ago, and I remember we started homeschooling back in the late 80s, and I had to go to the public school to take my testing. And so we were a homeschooled family. We were like the pioneers, and nobody knew what pi- homeschooling was. And I remember I went to the public school, and I was so scared out of my mind because I was a little homeschool you know, nerd, and I was sitting there with all these kids, and I remember this one particular scene as the teacher was telling this one particular student what to do and what not to do, and this student began to rebel against this teenager, or against this teacher. And I remember I kept looking at this kid going, what are you doing, you know? just shut up you know and he wouldn't shut up and she kept doubling down and one thing went to another and he got expelled and kicked out of the room and i couldn't believe it and unfortunately this kid wasn't coming from a home that was teaching him how to obey how to respect and how to take orders from the person in that moment that was given responsibility and authority over him this is going to help your child this is going to help you moving forward it's pleasing to the lord You don't just obey your parents because they're right, you do it because it pleases the Lord. Now he moves on in verse 21 and he says uh, to, to fathers, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In other words, love them, pour into them, invest in them, and care for them. Notice what Paul says in verse 21 again. Fathers do not provoke your children lest you become discouraged. Notice he doesn't say anything about loving them, caring for them, investing in them, discipling them. In raising them. You know why? Because all of that's inferred. He just says what not to do. Don't provoke them. Don't discourage them. Because that is the temptation to do that as a dad. He doesn't even have to tell them to love, care, invest, disciple. Because that's, that's inferred. That's what dads are supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to raise our kids. Let me give you six ways not to provoke, discourage, or break your children. Okay, number one, with all relationships, but especially with children, make more withdrawals, make more, uh, de- make more deposits than withdrawals. Okay, it's not hard to criticize your kids. They're just learning not everything's perfect. And the harder thing that you have in your life is to make sure that they're valued, loved, accepted, that you believe in them, that you care for them, that they can keep going forward. It's important that you disciple them. Those are what we would call withdrawals, but it's also important that you pour into them. Those would be the deposits. And here's what I would just say to moms and dads. Leave no doubt. Because Satan's a liar, isn't he? Satan's going to prey on your little boys and your little girls. And they're going to think about their worth and their value and their acceptance with teachers, with coaches, with parents. And when they know that there are more deposits, more atta boys, atta gals, Good job. I see you. That was awesome. More pictures on the refrigerator with the magnets holding that stupid picture that they drew. You know, like more of those. In my Bible, you go through my Bible, I got pictures of my kids all over here. I got their baseball cards. I don't play baseball, but their little cards are soccer cards. And I got their wrestling cards. And I got their stuff in my room. I got a little drawer, all the drawings. Okay? Because those are my kids. And they're accepted. They're valued. They're appreciated. They're cared for. I'm committed to them to the end. And they didn't know that. Because then when dad comes down and has to make a withdrawal, okay, time for, time for a teachable moment, time for some discipline, it's time for a timeout, it's time for a spanking, it's time, okay, you did something wrong, I've got to teach you the way. They need no doubt, my dad loves me, he cares for me, because there's been more deposits than there has been withdrawals. Both need to happen. Number two, don't discipline without instruction, okay, make sure your child knows what's going on. As you discipline your kid, they're gonna feel the whole weight of that, they're gonna feel their failure. Make sure that they know where they're supposed to go, where they erred. Make sure they have that knowledge. I was at a basketball game yesterday. My son Nemo was playing, and one of the kids did this call it sixth-grade basketball. It's rec ball. These kids don't even know what they're doing, they didn't even know what side they're to shoot on the, half the time. And this one particular kid did something wrong, and the, the referee Tray! blew the whistle, did this thing, and moved on. And this kid was so confused. He's like, What's this mean? You know? And I just felt so bad for this kid because he got the whistle turnover but he had no idea what he'd done wrong, and I wish that that referee at that point would have said, hey, just so you know, here's, the, here's what you did wrong. You'll never do it wrong again because I discipled you. Discipline, not that hard. Discipleship, make sure not to discipline your kids without also instructing your kids at the same time. couple more. Don't live a double standard, the do as I say, not as I do parent. Nothing more discouraging than living with somebody who's over you that is hypocritical in what they say and then in turn in what they do. This is bosses. This is leaders. This is our government, our community. They say to do this, and then they don't do it. So discouraging. So too with moms and dads raising kids. This isn't just to fathers. This is to moms and dads to be that hypocrite at home. Don't do that. Instead, do what Jesus did, where he taught stuff, dot 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 dot, and then he modeled it. The worst is when you teach stuff and then go model the opposite. It'll discourage your child. Also, number four, uh, be present, not distant. Kids can tell when they're unwanted. Uh, We live in a very distracted culture right now, and we fill our times with phones and media, emails, entertainment. It used to be in generations past that when you came home from work, you left work away. You left hobbies away. You left social life away. You left all the things away. Now we bring it home right with us. It's right there. It's in our mobile devices. It's all right there. There's no separation. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you guys keep working once you get home? It's all kind of the blend right there. And your kids... They'll know when they're unwanted, they'll know when you're not there, so be present. Don't discourage them, don't provoke them, don't be distant, but be present. Number five, create culture and experience for your family. Let me just say it this way, and I'm running out of time here. The culture around us is good at creating culture and experience for your kids, and the world around us is trying to woo your kids to its own dark side. As moms and dads, it is your job, it is your joy to create culture and experience for your kids within the kingdom of God and with the family that you get to raise them where your kids want to grow and be close to you and close to God. You've got to be active in that. The world never sleeps. The culture and the experiences are ramping up, and they're bright, and they're shiny, and they're alluring, all these things. As a mom or dad, you need to capture your kids' hearts before the world does. And number six, and lastly, you need to lead your kids to Jesus lead them to Jesus, bring them to Jesus, take their names to Jesus, pray for them, make sure they know who Jesus is. Listen, this gets weird. Make sure your kids know how to process Christianity, not just in Bible studies and VBS and songs. Make sure your kids know how to process Christianity in the ugly times, in the broken times. How many of you guys have found that your Christianity is more active in the ugly times than gnarly times? That like gets easy to come to church and sing. Hey, man, we sing. This is what we do, kid. Raise your hands and sing. We're at church, you know. And, ah, and That's their Christianity experience. If my kids are going to make it in this life, they need to know how to get ugly when things get ugly. How to repent. How to confess. How to cry. How to reach for grace and mercy in your own life when you've come up short. Lead your kids to Jesus. Don't discourage them. Don't provoke them. Guys, just final thoughts. To be discouraged is literally be without courage, to be removed of courage. He says, fathers, this is to parents, don't provoke your children so they will be discouraged, but instead to encourage them. To encourage is to be full of courage, to be strong, to be full, to be built up. This is the father's role. Last night I was studying this out and I talked all my kids in and they were all asleep. They were asleep for about two minutes and then I went and visited each kid separately And I went to Acacia first, and I turned her light on, and she got some eardrops in her ear so she couldn't move. It was kind of cool. So I got down by her bedside, and I I read this scripture to her. I said, "Hey, hey, Acacia, I'm curious. What are some ways, as your dad, that I can provoke you to discouragement? And she looked at me. She didn't really understand the question. So I rephrased it a little differently. And Acacia's answer was the best. The boys were good, too, but hers was best. She said, Dad, you don't discourage me. You're a good dad. You don't. You don't do that. You're a great dad. And I said, "Here's twenty bucks, thank you." <laughs> no, I didn't say that. And I, I read it all, Read this whole portion. I said, "Hey, what? Do, what do you, how? How can I do a better job? How can you do a better job of obeying?" It was really. It was a teachable moment. And then I. And then Nemo. I brought Nemo into my office. He came in, to see the dog one, one last time before he went to bed. And and I said, "Hey, Nemo." And I read this portion to him. And he looked at me and he said, "I don't know." I said, "Well, how?" what are some ways that I can discourage you and, and, and hurt you in that way? He said, well, if you point out the things I do wrong more than you point out the things I do right. I said, okay, so that makes sense. And I like to point out the things I do right. I can celebrate my kids, celebrate the wins, celebrate the victories. And as a dad, as a mom, you have to also point out the areas where they're wrong. You've you got to do both in love. And I had Noah come in after that, and I was in the back, and, and I said, Noah, how, how, how can I... Make sure I don't provoke you and to discourage you in this way. And no, also, just I don't, you, you don't discourage me, Dad. You, you, you pour into us and, and we trust you. No, also, like his brother said, when you do point out things that are wrong, it can be discouraging. And I don't know how else to explain what happened with my three kids, but I asked each one of my kids separately, I said, would you pray for me right now? And I had Acacia pray for me, and Nemo pray for me, and Noah pray for me. It was the sweetest prayers my kids have ever prayed for me. Last night, for they, they prayed for you guys. They prayed for the, the word of God to go out, for the church, for Sundays. Saturdays at our house are kind of intense. It's the day before Sunday. I get PMS. Pre-message syndrome. I don't know what you were thinking. And there's pressure, and I repent. I don't want to be that guy. The Bible brings order, it brings peace. Now if you've come up short in your marriage, you've come up short in your parenting, you just didn't do it right, hey, join the club. Join the club. God's word is intended not just to give us a bunch of stars and a bunch of you did good and you never did right. God's word cuts you just right. He say, ah, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I needed, It's exactly what I needed. And maybe it's the discipline of the Lord. The reminder of the Lord. He loves you. He's so committed to you. He wants you to succeed. He's covered for you where you have not succeeded. He bled and died for your sins and for your mistakes. And he speaks life over you and forgiveness to you in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what the world needs right now. They need truth, which is what we just got, and love. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. and So he's given to us his truth. He said, this is the way it works. The rest of the world's going crazy. Don't follow their their example. Follow my words. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this in? Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for your word, which does bring order. It does bring peace. It brings healing. And I pray in Jesus' name for every man here, every woman here, single or married, kids or no kids, young or old, that we all, Lord, would be under the submission and come under the authority of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we, Lord, fall under the submission and the authority of heaven. And that we would say, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. And, Lord, that you would rule and reign. We thank you for all you've done. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace, Lord, for our marriages and for our families, for our kids. Lord, I pray for the moms and dads, especially ones that have little kids and little guys and gals. You bless them. That they wouldn't provoke their children, Lord. That they wouldn't be discouraged. But that their children would be so encouraged. They would have courage in this generation. And They would have light, and they would have purpose and value and worth, and it would come from mom, and it would come from dad. Bless them. And I pray, Lord, for wives and for husbands, that they would love each other, respect each other, honor each other, and live for each other. And God, we pray that that reflection of heaven would be seen, that it would be evidenced, and that if anybody has any questions, if Jesus is real, it wouldn't come from a sweatshirt that they see, but it would come from a life that is well-lived. That, Lord, we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and we'd do things differently. I also want to pray one more prayer for those who are hurting here this morning who've lost marriages, Lord, who've lost kids, Lord, who've lost time. I pray in Jesus' name that they, Lord, like me, even in my, in my failures, Lord, would just nod and say, let God be true. God is true. He's so right. And there would even be a healing in their hearts by saying, yeah, I've, I've proved it i came up short he's so right and there would be such grace for the bible says that our our mistakes have been paid for our sins have been forgiven and you cause all things to work together for good so we give our lives to you lord forgive us and lead us help us we pray we humble ourselves under your authority in jesus name we pray and everybody said Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Hey, check this out. Don't forget to grab a Bible reading plan and a free Bible on your way out the door. They're by the front doors. You grab those. Don't forget to bring your kids to youth group this week, celebrate recovery, women's Bible study, all that's happening. And next week we will begin our week of prayer and fasting. You guys are dismissed.